He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's, want to give them a wide berth. It's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. We will start this time with Case. For once, I have a very positive yoga update. I got invited to the yoga studio holiday party. Not a big deal. I went. <laughs> I rocked it. In movies, when they have those scenes where somebody walks into a room and everybody stops talking and looks at them, I know people think that's cliche, but that shit happened when I walked into that party. (laughs) But I salvaged the night, thankful to this podcast, because we started talking about movies, and your boy was right in the pocket once that happened. Bad boy. Nice. Yeah. Aubrey, welcome back. You had to escape early from the last episode uh yeah escape is maybe the best way to put it got a little sick which is an understatement everything's okay though two er trips later and your boy's okay just arrived back from a semi-successful daytona trip with my high school basketball team one and two with an upset win sandwiched in between two days can't be all that mad saw two of my favorite movies of this past year since the last time we recorded. Uh, shout out to the three people that also like Babylon. <laughs> <laughs> Just happy to be here and not sick. Rigby. Yeah, uh, I was in the middle of some Christmas travel chaos, but other than that, just glad to be back home and in six degree weather for a change. Trying to see all these movies that you guys mentioned, but I haven't been able to do it. I probably will end up seeing Babylon, even though just because I do like Damien Chazelle, but I'm just not really jazzed about it for some reason. That cast is unreal, though. I can't say no to it, you know? I will say that over over break I did, or while I was home, I did watch uh, did watch Top Gun Maverick, and I loved it. I was not expecting to enjoy it because of all the hype. I kind of stray away from, you know, getting into all that. But, I yeah, I was I was really into it. Tom Cruise, the guy is weird, but he can make a movie, that's for sure. I'm glad you finally saw it. Kyle and I saw it in theaters, left there. I think I drove like 20 miles an hour faster home. I was so pumped. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of, James, you're next. I actually did graduate, so that's good news. Uh, I wasn't sure at the time of the last recording, uh, but confirmed my grades were good enough to graduate, which is awesome. But other than that, I have watched a substantial amount of Dakota Johnson movies since then uh, because I now have my nights somewhat free other than baby watching. Uh, so I'm pumped to talk about it. Locked and loaded tonight. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Let's go. But I'm like you guys. I've been crushing a lot of a lot of movies here. It's tis the season. I've seen a lot of what you guys have talked about. It's a film called Three Minutes, a lengthening. It's only an hour long. It's a documentary. And it's about found footage from Poland in 1938 of this Jewish community who most of them ended up dying in the Holocaust. And it's them trying to identify the people in that it's a three minute video they found in florida a couple years back and it's them exploring these three minutes and who these people were in their stories and it's super emotional and really really cool and it's on uh it's on hulu it's only an hour long so big big fan of that one along with uh but we're excited to welcome back Corey wallace 
I love her bio. This is always one of my favorite ones to read. So Corey is still a 12-year-old latchkey kid with Beyond Basic Cable in an adult woman's body who also likes to record from her closet. Highly, highly constructed <laughs> closet. But she sounds good. She once set her alarm at 3 a.m. to get up and watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Maybe it was the old one. Maybe it's the new one. Who knows? That new one was kind of a stinker. But hey, please don't tell her parents. She only dates guys who watch it at least three movies a week, loves a good deep dive, or think piece, and is a fan of this podcast. She was with us multiple times. She's been here for the Natasha Leone, Aubrey Plaza, and Tyler Perry episodes. So she's a vet. Yeah. And the Leone episode is still our most popular ever. I, I think we're probably around a thousand downloads at this point. So it is the sweet, the crown jewel of downloads. Then the Leone crowd have found it and have embraced it. So welcome back, Corey. What's going on? Tell us about life. Thank you. Life is good. It's that weird time of year. So I don't know when pe- when people hear this episode, they need to know that this is that weird time of year when you don't know what day of the week it is. Like you might have gone to work that day. Maybe you've started work at four in the morning to be done by two. I don't know. It's just a weird, weird time of year. Travel is a mess. At the time of you listening to this, there will probably already be class action lawsuits brewing. Uh, Southwest Air will never be a sponsor of this podcast, so I can say that <laughs> we're all watching that go up in a ball of flame. Yes, disavow. Right, but yeah, things are good. I'm just really glad to be back. Excited for tonight's conversation, for sure. It's happy to have you. Yep. Let's dig into it. Let's talk about Dakota. All right, birthday is January 5th. It's 2023, y'all. Welcome to Happy New Year, right? So, Rigby, what do we got? All right, first up, a man who needs no introduction, Mr. Bradley Cooper. Mm. Get a raccoon. Mm. He's so handsome. It's just hard to tell. He's part of the tire mogul. <laughs> yeah. Okay. For tires. Jesus. He gives me sneaky old vibes. <laughs> yeah, that's why, like he's just been handsome for like twenty years, and so you, I don't know, could be, <laughs> could be forty-five, could be thirty-five. He's been handsome since he came out of the womb. Let's be honest. That was a yeah. probably a beautiful fucking baby. Come on. <laughs> ballpark i think he's like early to mid 40s so i'm gonna go 43 okay i'm gonna go high because i think he's sneaky old give me 47 good grief you guys are just throwing around the word old and now you're throwing around <laughs> mid 40s i said sneaky old <laughs> yeah if he's sneaky old and he's 55 give me 55 oh baby <laughs> decrepit dying barely alive <laughs> 42 <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna yep. say 42 also 42. Ooh, good answer. Yes. Good answer. Mm-hmm. Aubrey wins. Yes. I'm getting good at this. He's game. turning 48. So good job, Aubrey. Get out. He's still high. <laughs> I'm going to file a claim of ageism at the beginning of this podcast. <laughs> and I am I'm recording this podcast under protest. I didn't say anything, Craig. I didn't say anything. Yeah, let's let's move on. <laughs> All right. All right. Moving on. <laughs> Next up is Betty Draper herself, January Jones. Oh, she's one of my favorite follows on Instagram. She just <laughs> posts selfies and it's like the same selfie every day for years (laughs) at this point i don't know if it's on purpose or not but it's great bizarrely (laughs) consistent is what it is it's she's a unique cat let me tell you i fell in love with the last man on earth for the Kristen Shaw episode, and she's excellent in that show. I really like her character. Oh, dude, I thought she was great in Mad Men. First month of the year, so we're going to throw a number with a one. So let's go 41. Mm. 37. I'm going to jump on Kyle's back here. 41. I wouldn't do that. I got bad knees. <laughs> 35. 36. Very self-conscious about my guess now. 
All right, Aubrey wins again. She's actually turning 45 on the dot. Damn, she looks awesome. Self-conscious. I mean, very confident. <laughs> yeah, dude, two people in a row that look fantastic. Can I just take the last one off now? <laughs> no, just stop asking Jeeves for answers and you'll be fine. Is Ash Jeeves still around? That's still I thing? don't know. <laughs> it probably <laughs> is. It's probably <laughs> is. It's got to yeah, be right. wrong at this point, right? I thought Ask Jeeves turned into Ludaguess.com. <laughs> yeah. <That's right>. Uh, <laughs> Next up, Mrs. Annie Hall herself, Diane Keaton. Great actress. Wow, she's been at it forever, too. I can safely say Diane Keaton's pretty fucking old. <laughs> oh, 32? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not sneaky old. That's too old, Craig. What are you talking about? I think Diane is in her late 70s. I'm going to go 76. Might be too old, but whatever. Give me 70. 72. 78? I don't know why I said that like a question. I'm thinking she's like my parents' ages, which is a little younger than what you guys said. I'm, I want to say 68. All right, Kyle gets this one. She's turning 77. I was going to say 77, and I didn't want to be a dick. <laughs> Le- legend in the game. <laughs> I don't, no one's so, ever swept all three before, and you were that close. So That's what I get for being nice. Yeah, you almost guessed all three on the dot, too. That's even more impressive. Now it's just disappointing. <laughs> I've just disappointed yep, everyone. Exactly. Happy birthday to all you folks. All three of you Hollywood stars. (laughs) All right, five actors we threw under the wheel. This is episode 77. We had Christopher Plummer, rest in peace. John Malkovich, Chris Maloney, James Hong, which I would have loved, but I'm kind of glad we missed him because he's got like 250 credits and that's not a lot of fun to dig through. But it doesn't matter. Dakota Johnson is the selection. She is young in the game. She's got only 37 credits in her young career. So we'll dig through as many of that we find interesting. Probably not going to hit all of them, but we'll hit a bunch of them. But before we do that, we will start as we always do with some trivia to see if James can stump us fast and furious style. So everyone here is a veteran. uh, But for those of you listening at home, I'm going to read off three facts, two of which are true about Dakota Johnson. One of which is not true about Dakota Johnson, but is true about one of the many illustrious cast members of the fast and furious franchise. The guests here are going to have to guess which one is not true. Fact number one. She was neighbors with Hunter S. Thompson growing up, who would often come over to her house early in the mornings, announcing his presence by discharging a firearm in the driveway. Fact number two. One of her best and closest friends happens to be the granddaughter of the king himself, Elvis Presley. So much so she was a bridesmaid at her wedding. Fact number three. Is the only actor in history to be the second generation of their family to win a Razzie Award for Worst Actor. Ooh. Oh, man. Those are great. Yeah, I've got, they're great because all three of those could be true. Like, I can definitely see Don Johnson and Hunter S. Thompson being friends, for sure. Can definitely see her winning, both her and Don Johnson winning Razzies. Uh, the second one, I can, do you say the granddaughter of Elvis? So Riley Keough, I imagine. So her and I can see her; those two being friends. Man, I'll go. I'll go. One is the lie, and I'm just trying to think of who's who's who would be neighbors with Hunter S. Thompson that was in the Fast and Furious franchise. <laughs> I'll go. One's the lie. I'll go. One's the lie. Also, and for no other reason than because I've heard him talking. This sounds like behavior of people who talk like that. I'm gonna say it's Lucas Black. That's such a good guess. (laughs) She shared the screen with him in her first ever movie, Lucas Black. Just some southern hillbilly popping off. (laughs) Fucking Mm -hmm. classic Lucas Black. I hate to burn 
to burn the guesses from the first two, but I, I know number one is true, the Hunter S. Thompson thing. So I'm going to say Vanessa Kirby is besties with Riley Keough, and that's the connection. Maybe, I hope. They're both gorgeous. They can hang out as much as they want in my world. <laughs> I think James has too much time in his hands now that he's a master's level graduate, <laughs> and all three of them are true, and he's screwing with us. Well, I like that. They're all true tonight. Oh, yeah. So I think all three of them are correct. I'm agreeing with Case. You guys are spot on with number two is uh, actually true. So I didn't know Riley Keogh is Elvis's granddaughter, but apparently that's more common knowledge than I originally thought it was. I was shocked when I read that. Friends are very close friends to the point where she was actually her bridesmaid. And I had no idea that Riley Keogh was Elvis's granddaughter. Back number one, uh, she was neighbors with Hunter S. Thompson. She said that Thompson, uh, whom her father, they were longtime friends with, you regularly come over with like unusual gifts like bird calls and hunting goggles and other outdoor gear. He would often announce himself and his readiness to come over and chat by, you know, just popping off a couple rounds in the driveway, which is so on brand. Uh, it sounds exactly like something he would do, which was probably wildly traumatizing for a uh, young girl, but I guess it normalizes it. And I will give credit to. Corey and Craig, I, yes. you guys nailed it. Yeah, three in a row. The, the, all three were true. Uh, I found her life is very fascinating. So she's the only actor in history to be the second generation of their family to win a Razzie for Worst Actor. Uh, she won for Fifty Shades of Grey, which we'll get into. I think is a little unfair on her part. But she's the second generation Worst Actress winner. Uh, her mom, Melanie Griffith, won twice in 1993 and 1992 for wow. Shining Through and A Stranger Among Us. Man, I would have thought it would be it would have been Don Johnson. Good fact, James. No way. Don Johnson rules. <laughs> All right, Case, tell us a little bit about her snapshot in box office. You can uh, go ahead and give her a Razzie, but the, the Fifty Shade movies have combined to gross $1.3 billion. Oh, my. Yeah. Please. Give me a Razzie, let me make all that money, and I'm going to move on with things. We're talking Avatar numbers for, for softcore porn movies. Yes, Fifty Shades of Grey is the highest world gross, but compared to investment, do you guys know what movie outperformed Fifty Shades of Grey? Mm. 21 Jump Street. Yeah. Nope. This is a good guess. Match out real smooth. Peanut Butter Falcon. We'll talk about it. Budgeted $6.2 million, world grossed $133 million. Nice. Oh, that's cool. That is cool. It deserves it. Going across some of the numbers, they kind of fall where you think. She's 56th average budget. She ranks 43rd on our list of total box office. That's going against some people that have had 40, 50 year careers. It's pretty impressive. And when you look at two of her box office metrics that I measure everybody against, she's sixth in one of them, 12th in the other. Star meters, 29th. Critic ranking is 43rd. Fan ranking is 21. And that ranks her 16th, which oh. I thought was incredibly accurate. Surprising, but accurate. For somebody who's only been acting, really acting for 10 years? Half of her box office world gross is Fifty Shades movies. Three Fifty Shades movies versus the other 30-some low 30s movies. Really intrigued as I was putting these numbers in. I have a feeling the Munsonmeter score will not be 16th out of 77. But we'll see. You never know. We shall see. That's right. That's why we do what we do. The early days of Dakota Johnson, she was born in Austin, Texas in 1989, uh, actually during the filming of Hotspot. Her dad was on set filming 
the movie. We talked about it. Famous parents, Don Johnson, Nash Bridges, Melanie Griffith. He, she's got like a really weird half brother, half sister fam, big family, very complicated. Dude, famous grandparents too. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're all from the entertainment world. Her mom was Tippi Hedren, who I didn't know who that was by name, but it's the actress in The Birds, which is like a classic. Tippi Hedren also has the largest private animal sanctuary in the United States, Shambhala. Wow. That is a good fact. Dakota Johnson spent her childhood hanging out with big cats. Like, for real. I love that. You should see pictures of this place. It's ridiculous. There's no birds in there, right? It it makes sense because she's a big animal activist, too. So, yeah, fascinating life. Can we appropriately... Born into that world, a Nepo baby, as someone wrote on her Instagram today, like the ultimate nepotism baby. But I think we'll talk about it. She's a pretty good actress. Yeah. We'll talk about, her, you know, her family connections. And it's our second in a row with Zoe Deschanel last time. Her parents, she mean, she went straight into big, some pretty big films right out of the gate. Um, it's probably not much different with Dakota in terms of just being connected to the industry. Uh, but her first film was in 1999 in a movie called Crazy in Alabama. She's 10, 9 at the time. It's a very small role. Her mom, Melanie Griffith, is in the film. It's a fun movie. I watched it early, Lucas Black. He's kind of the star of the film. Uh, it's directed by her stepdad, Antonio Banderas. Wow. Ever heard of him? <laughs> Goes on the run after killing her husband, and she has her husband's head in like a knapsack, and it's a joke the whole time. She's like, where can I put my husband? And everyone's like, ha ha ha. I didn't know that this is her first role, so that's super interesting. Yeah, if you aren't paying attention, you'll miss her. It's very, very brief, obviously. But um, Lucas Black, man, if it, the if we ever cover Lucas Black, this will be one we'll we'll probably get into quite quite in depth because he has got that southern accent on full display. Yeah, it's either this or his anti-vax stances or all the stupid shit he always talks about <laughs> finally cover friday night lights that's what we'll do and we can put oh, we can put some uh explosions in the sky for the opening and closing of the episode everybody will be super happy but after that you know as she grew up um she actually made a decent amount of money in high school got into modeling and that's how she supplemented her income uh, her parents were pretty adamant that she wasn't going to get into acting until she was at least 18 yeah they didn't they didn't really want her to go into the industry yeah, and when she talks about it, she's like, yeah, they were not, they were pushing me not to get into acting, and they knew that that wasn't gonna, that wasn't gonna stop me. I just waited until I was 18 to do it. She got turned down from Juilliard. So we've covered a few folks that went to Juilliard, and obviously a very prestigious performing arts school. Got turned down, so she paid for her own acting lessons and kind of went her own route there. Obviously still had connections. It worked out in terms of getting her some some projects. So the next big one there... Right, there's not. We're not really skipping anything early on. She only has 37 credits. She uh, she has a very short scene in The Social Network. She plays Amelia, essentially Justin Timberlake's uh, college hookup, where he uh, in that scene he he discovers Facebook, essentially that she's using the .edu version of it. I love that scene, and this is the this is the scene where they introduce Sean Parker, played by Justin Timberlake, and um, the, this is like after the first like hour of the movie, so it's mm-hmm. like this whole new character. But yeah, I love that scene. It's an important scene in the film. She said David Fincher was like, stick to the script. Do exactly like I have it written out. <laughs> she said that was the only time that she had like read an audition with a writer. It was like really intimidating because she couldn't add anything. Wow. Yeah. Aaron Sorkin's very much like that. Yeah. I'm... You read as written. <laughs> <laughs> and she also, I saw the interview. She said like Terrence Malick was on that set too, would like show up. And so can you imagine like your first adult mm-hmm. 
movie, right? And you're dealing with David Fincher and Terrence Malick is just hanging out on set. I guess it's got to be so intimidating early on. I mean, I know she's around. Hunter S. Thompson was her neighbor, so but it's still got to be intimidating. Anybody's going to handle that situation. She seemed like bred for it, acting across Justin Timberlake. Mm-hmm. And that, that scene, like, she lasts pretty long in that scene. Like, it's not like a mm-hmm. throwaway scene. Nope. I, when, when you're used to Hunter S. Thompson firing weapons at your house, I, whatever. Terrence Malick, it's not like he showed up with a rifle in the air. Whatever. A year later, she played a very small role in a movie called Beastly, played Sloan. It is a retelling of Beauty and the Beast. It's like a Gossip Girl meets a really bad fantasy film. It's pretty good. Well, what we're going to call our first major role was 2012's Goats. And this is Case's review. Like Kyle said, Goats is a 2012 comedy drama directed by Christopher Neal, written by Mark Poirier. Graham Phillips is probably the star, but David Duchovny steals the show in this. But Graham Phillips. Carrie Russell, Justin Kirk, Ty Burrell. It's really kind of a, a quirky coming-of-age movie. A review I read, I really agree with that. An incredible cast, and, and I say it's incredible cast because I think everybody's cast really, really well. David Duchovny is cast as the Goatman. Donor Goatman. Yeah, who's basically Graham Phillips' weird, eccentric neighbor. I was hell. I don't know what the hell he does. Mentor, kind of. Yeah. Vera Farmiga is plays this incredibly eccentric, like weird mother, and she nails it. It is really, really cast well, but it just it really doesn't go anywhere. This is one of those movies that we've talked about that it's got like thirty different producers, so you can tell that this thing kept changing hands and. And just kind of never, never found an authentic singular voice. The characters are quirky and they're well played. I think the tempo of this movie is really interesting. And the story is interesting, too. It's one of those movies, though, that when I had it on, it kept wanting to go to the background of whatever I was doing. I didn't hate the movie. I enjoyed watching it. But it didn't it didn't come to the forefront um, of what I was watching. One interesting note, Jason Schwartzman did the music for this. And it's got a cool vibe to the music. As far as our girl Dakota Johnson goes, she plays like a townie at this private boarding school. She flirts with the students. She's around town. She works in the kitchen, hangs out in the library. She's kind of a secret crush for Ellis early in the movie. I actually thought she did really well in this role. And I used to work out at a summer camp in middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, and it was always this very weird relationship with people that lived in Honesdale and worked at the camp where all these people from all over the country are coming and living. And I thought she captured that vibe really, really well and created that sense of, yes, she's there, but at the same time, you know she's going home and, and, and having a life. So... I thought she was pretty good for a pretty small role. She's in it. She did well. And I didn't mind watching this movie. Her character calls for something that she does well, and that's being mysterious. Correct. And she's very mysterious. And that's that's the allure of her character for most of the movie for him, because it's centered around him and his crush on her. Because the, yeah. all the other boys and everyone's like, oh, she's slutty. Like, she's sleeping with all these guys. But just no one really knows much about her. She's a townie who just, like, walks in and out of buildings, essentially. So not a huge role but 
she is definitely part of his arc yeah. towards the end of the movie. So it's enough to call a first major role. And she's efficient in, in her screen time. Okay. The one thing I did find interesting about this movie from a box office perspective, it spent two weeks in the theaters and the, uh, the distribution company did not release box office numbers. <laughs> No need. <laughs> Ouch. You're saying it didn't make a lot of money. Never a good sign. Even bad movies report box office. So what does that mean about this movie? <laughs> no, dude, it was, just, it was just ahead of its time. It was waiting for streaming where box office doesn't matter. All right, well, coming off of Goats, she's in a pretty big film. Smaller role, but she's in 21 Jump Street, plays Fugazi, one of the... Uh, on, she's, she's on the team working other high school crime mm-hmm. syndicates. And she is a sassy asshole. Finger popping each other's assholes. She's <laughs> killing it. She's killing it. Don't be a hater, Kyle. No, I like it. It's, I think she's great at it. She's the most effective, like, undercover agent they've got. It's, it's, it's unfortunate that the girl who says you finger popping each other's assholes steals the thunder. Yeah, I mean, that line is fantastic. But yeah, she's, she, she doesn't have much of a role in this, though. No, it's not Pretty small. Aubrey, do you recruit players like Rob Riggle where you're like, Jesus, did you go through puberty in like the sixth grade? Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Fucking huge. <laughs> yeah. Or do you recruit him like Anthony Anderson in Goats? You catch him smoking weed outside and you say, guess what? I'm either going to get you in trouble or you're going to join the Jack team. <laughs> that's how that one worked. We're running low on athletes. No, no comment. That same year, she's in the five-year engagement, played Audrey, a movie we talked about a bunch with Emily Blunt, Alison Brie, Chris Pratt. So we've hit this one quite a bit over the years. Somebody covered this, didn't they? Like a full review? Yeah. I did a full review of it on the Alison Brie episode. There's moments where like people will be like, didn't you do a review of this? And I'd be like, I did, and I don't remember this movie. Mm-hmm. Like that, <laughs> that, that happened. And in a lot of ways, her first big break was on the TV show Ben and Kate. She played Kate, a teen mom, a show that was 16 episodes alongside... Oscar winner Nat Faxon, which is always one of my fun facts. I watched this on first viewing. Oh, like I was one of those people who thought this show was going to be a huge hit, and I really like Nat Faxon and Lucy. What's her last name? Lucy Punch, the British actress. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought this was going to be a huge hit. Ha ha! But <laughs> I can be one of the sixteen people that said they watched it actually on Fox. One person for every episode. Mm-hmm. Yep. There you go. <laughs> yeah, she speaks pretty warmly of it as kind of one of her first big breaks outside of these small roles and these other big budget projects. But we haven't seen this a ton. Uh, she was on an episode of The Office in 2013. She played Kevin's replacement. She talked about how she was like on set for basically two weeks for what was amounted to a three-minute scene. And that was a little bit annoying to her. And there was almost a spinoff with her. Yes would have been great i think she described it as like being invited to someone's birthday party last minute after everyone else has already been invited where they were like hey do you want to be on the show and then you get there and you're like you guys don't really want me here like and now i gotta be here for two weeks this kind of sucks to be honest Mm -hmm. 2014 she's in a movie called date and switch plays m it's a comedy about two male friends one of them comes out as gay and his buddy is essentially trying to like help him navigate that space and be his wingman and i thought it was going to be awful but i actually didn't mind it at all it's nicholas braun gary cole's in it and he's right in his bag is playing like a sarcastic dad in this movie it's it was more enjoyable than i thought it would and she plays a pretty big role as as one of the main uh characters i want you to take a look 
at that movie poster because you will see it again along the road of her filmography. Her sitting in a group shot in front of a brick wall. Think urban. You're going to see that again. Yeah. It's the laziest film poster known to man. And she's been on like three of them. We haven't talked about the Need for Speed movie since the Rami Malek episode, and it's probably a good thing because she plays Anita in this one. <laughs> I thought this was Speed Racer. <laughs> That's a fun movie. This is not a fun movie. I'm trying to remember. I think she plays Aaron Paul's wife or girlfriend yeah. or something. That's what I remember from the still images I saw. She's like the the villain's fiance, so she's like torn between the two of them. In pop culture. I'd say that other than, you know, the big one that's coming up here shortly, I think she's done a really good job choosing movies to be in. Yeah. Obviously, the Fifty Shades movies, you know, you got to do what you got to do to pay the bills. I get it. Uh, But I feel like other than that, she's gone for more like indie kind of films, which gives her the opportunity to choose like really interesting characters. Mm -hmm. The average budget for her films is 56. At thirty point five million, and so that goes to your point, James. That smaller. She's taking really manageable movies and roles. Well, speaking of interesting characters, one of my two DNFs on the episode was the movie Cymbeline. She plays Imogen. It is a modern retelling of a Billy Shakespeare <laughs> story, and those just aren't up my alley. We'll say, and she's plays a huge role in the film. Uh, but I could not get through it, even though there's some really good actors in the movie. Ethan Hawke's in it. Oh, it is a very well-cast film. Lots of money on that roster. Ed Harris is in it. Oh, huge. Huge name. You know that when they pitched this film, it was a very successful pitch. But once they actually got to execution, I, I couldn't get through it either. I've, I fast-forwarded. I didn't. I finished it, but by cheating. I, I'm guessing that Dakota Johnson fancies herself as... I want to try everything. I want to be eclectic. I want to do a lot of different types of projects. And this was an example of, well, this is an opportunity to act with Ed Harris, who's going to turn that down. Of a Fifty Shades movie here shortly. So we can at least talk about the impact of the first one. But 2015, her career blows up with her role as Anastasia in Fifty Shades. This was a book that was everywhere. It was like a true literal phenomenon and I mean literal literary phenomenon uh, in that, like I saw this book being passed around the women in my house where I was like, what the fuck is going on here? And then I, I was like, all right, if every woman here has read this, I flip open to a random page and I was appalled. And I was like, I wish I didn't open that page. I wish I didn't have the knowledge I have now (laughs) that I didn't have 15 minutes ago because it is a sexual fantasy novel. Uh, and so it was so successful. They made many movies over it. And it was like this cultural phenomenon. It, it opened the kink world to a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's where where it comes in there. I So, James. Did it, though. Yeah, did it, though. Did it, though. I think it introduced people. I feel like it mainstreamed, like, submissive and dominance and, and BDSM to, to, like, middle America, where... Some people were already there and it was normalized and other people were like, have you even thought about this shit before? And it's like blew their mind. I read like a hundred pages of that book after watching the first movie and was it's, it's intense. And you'll, <laughs> I, I think you, we'll, we'll wait till my review to where I can theorize why these movies are just bad. And compared to the book, which is obviously like really well 
received. Okay. Was it well received for like its writing? No. No, it was not. It created a world that I think was very appealing for women who want fantasy and escape and made it very easy to go pick up and immerse yourself in something ridiculous. I don't think the first movie's terrible. <laughs> don't think it's terrible. I agree with you. Full disclosure, I've never seen one of these movies, nor have I read any of the books. You can guess what happens. From the outside looking in, you guys, this seems like it was not a failure. No, it didn't. Well, it didn't fail. did incredibly well in the box office. It's a legit franchise. And everybody knows. I mean, they've parodied this on our, you know, on our scary movies type of stuff. Yeah. It's tough for me to swallow this franchise is a failure no it's definitely not a failure it's it's just they're just terrible they're just such tacky movies all right let's get to lowest critic score the golden nugget shining star of her filmography and that is chloe and theo and Corey. just for the record when i told Corey what the reviews were i said you landed lowest critic score chloe and theo but here are the other ones if it i was like everything but 50 shades because that's gonna be hilarious for rigby to review but if you want any of the others, you can have it. She said, no, I'll cover Chloe and Theo. So, Corey, the floor is yours. First of all, I want you all to know that this movie was made, I think, in 2009, but it wasn't released till 2015. And I'll give you kind of the scoop on why in a minute. But uh, this film, uh, the, produ- the producers for this film are a cast of what I call Vanity Project experts. You have Sir Richard Branson, who is the king of self-promotion. You have John Paul DeJoria, who you might know as Paul Mitchell. He has more money than God and invests in all kinds of kooky, dumb things. This is one of those kooky, dumb things. Chloe and Theo uh, is a story of that's rooted in a, in a true story of an Inuit man. I'm not going to use the term Eskimo, but she uses the term Eskimo a million times in this film. An Inuit man who comes to New York City to try and um, he's on a mission to talk about climate change and the impact of climate change on his homeland and on his community. And he walks to New York and basically says it's there's kind of an elf moment where he's like walking through the streets and it's really bizarre um there's all these montages of kind of attempts at shining him up and preparing him to speak to the united nations goes to the united nations gets arrested um and all hell breaks loose this is a nepo baby's dream film because mira sorvino plays the other female lead in this and Mira Sorvino cast her husband, Chris Henshi, in it. Did you notice that? The lead singer of Incubus is in this movie. <laughs> Meet me on the set of Chloe and Theo. It is terrible. The only redeeming thing, and one of the reasons why I was like, there's a reason for every film. Every film has a reason. And there is a guy in this movie. <laughs> We're going to talk about Dakota in a minute, because... Her performance in this is so laughably bad. I think she lost a bet with her dad or something. <laughs> and her dad was like, well, you lost this bet, sister. You got to do this film. It, it was horrible. You ever seen Oliver? Like the film Oliver where there, there's like a street urchin. Like, I'd like some more, please. Her makeup artist and Oliver's makeup artist are exactly the same person. Yes. It, it literally looks like they took her hair to the salon, but then said, we'll just rub some dirt on your face. Voila, homeless. Um, it was terrible. Her acting's terrible. 
she doesn't choose a through line. She doesn't choose motivation. You never really know why she cares so much. She just keeps like talking about the purity of this Inuit man and he just has pure intentions and I just want to help him. It's really terrible. I will never ever watch it again. I'm sure she's really embarrassed it exists and I feel bad for her. One of the worst things I've ever seen. Be completely honest. It was really bad. 6% critic score, um, which might be generous in some ways. It, it has, its intentions are good. It's just the, some of the poorest execution I've ever seen. And like, I felt like they were parading this man out and basically embarrassing him in, in front of the world. Like, what he's trying to do is, is good. Well, and here's the thing. That gentleman is actually the real person who wanted to articulate the need mm-hmm. to address climate change. And this package is just so white savory. It's so patronizing. It's so magical, mystical person of color. It is every negative, demotivating trope known to man in 90 minutes. It's horrible. Oof. I chose to start polluting after I watched it. I, I, got, <laughs> I got some spray and I started spraying aerosols. Anything could be demotivating, it's this movie. <laughs> But you saying it, they filmed it in 09 makes sense because she looks really young in this movie. And so she did it before, really before social network. She, this is like basically her first thing she did as an adult. And yeah, I don't think she talks about it. This is, she probably hates that we're discussing. Corey, did you see the box office performance in this movie? I only saw one country. <laughs> yes. I believe I saw Turkey. Portugal. Portugal. There's Portugal. Ooh. Yep. And it was under $500, wasn't it? It was uh, $490. Two weekends. <laughs> two weeks. She passed the test. She did well. Excellent. <laughs> they cared. A little pocket of people. So that's Chloe and Theo. Don't watch it. Keep her going. Sounds like we're in the 6% territory there. Uh, 2015, she's plays Lindsay in Black Mass, a, uh, a movie where she plays a very frantic character. I thought she was excellent in this movie. She's really good. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought she was pretty good, man. I and mean, she's acting opposite of Johnny Depp as he's playing a psychopath. And she's putting a lot of like uh, emotion into and like heart into her role. And that's hard to do in a movie that's specifically showing this man who has no heart and no emotion as he kills people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought she did really well. That like big, a lot of emotion. That's not something that she like does a ton of. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a nice change of pace. It's a different uh-huh. different thing that she has in her bag that she can get into. It's mm-hmm. good to see that. And like James is saying, this is a this is a tough role for her to carry because the ability to show a the right amount of emotion versus a character who has none, that's hard. Same here. Another good picture. She's in a a bigger splash. She played Penelope. Um a Luca, I don't never pronounce his name. Guadagnino. Guadagnino. I just know this is the movie before uh, Call Me By Your Name for him. Yep. Yeah. I would guess because of her performance in Syria is very sensual in this movie. It turns out to be underage, which is kind of creepy by the end of the movie. <laughs> it was wild. I think Rafe is really good in this movie. Mm-hmm. He's eating in this movie. Yep. I, th- I think it's a damn good film. This movie is really, um, I think, the, a great pe- precursor to The Lost Daughter. It's very moody. Not slow, but it forces you to really pay attention to the subtle nuances of what's going on. It's a very European film. It's yes. not a rock'em, sock'em American popcorn movie, 
Um, but I remember seeing this movie because I really like the director. And they, this got a lot of buzz when it came out. They were, like, treading the boards, man. They were on late-night talk shows. Mm -hmm. She was selling this film. And it was the first movie that I saw that she was really doing all the work there. They put her in more upfronts than Tilda Swinton or Rafe, probably because they were like, F you, we're not going to do the upfronts. Put the kid in there. Mm -hmm. And she did it. And I just remember thinking, this is somebody who knows what she's got. She doesn't want to let this art house opportunity pass her by. And... I was I'm I love this movie. I think it's really great. She's really really good in this. Like I don't I don't love the movie as much as you guys do. Um I'm not a huge fan of Lucas stuff. I, it's it's hard to deny like his ability and his talent. The movie's beautiful and it's effective. Just I had a hard time kind of like accessing it. But the performances are all incredible and she holds her own. Like she's she's got a lot of hard work to do. Like she's going like Tilda is in her bag. Rafe is going crazy in this movie. And she's got to like stand up next to that. And she does a really good job. And by the end, I was, I was really taken with what she was doing. Cause this was one of the last ones I watched. I've seen almost everything she's done. I kind of skipped some of the early stuff, really bad stuff. And the small stuff I've seen all the other things. This is one of my favorite performances from her in part because she has to hold her own up next to these giants. It's a great performance. I like the movie that this is based off, or loosely based off, um, called The Swimming Pool. It's a French movie from the 60s. Um, really similar plot. She goes to the rom-com side and is a lead. She is the lead. The movie centers around her and how to be single, another Alison Brie crossover. Is she the role in this where she's at the bar working and stealing the Wi-Fi from the bar? That's Alison Brie's character, but yeah. That's Alison Brie's character. Oh, okay. Yep. Yes. Yep. First of all, this movie did very well. In my demographic, it did extremely well. Yeah, it's like a better version of uh, He's Not That Into You, which is its precursor. But this is a much better version. It's a much richer version. Less tropey, if if that's possible. Alison Brie's great in it, too. I think she she played her character is yes. pretty spot on. All right, let's get to uh, the, the, the spiciest review of the night. And that's largest audience gap, which is Fifty Shades Darker 2017. And we're all very excited to hear Rigby talk about it. He was sending a lot of Johnny Depp from Pirates of the Caribbean memes today. So Fifty Shades Darker is the 2017 sequel to Fifty Shades of Grey, uh, based off the books that we discussed earlier. Dakota Johnson returns as Anastasia Steele. And her on-again, off-again relationship is portrayed uh, with Christian Grey, played by Jamie Dornan. Um, bottom line, I, we talked about how the movies are not really up to, you know, critical acclaim. And this one doesn't really do a very good job of that either. Uh, it's a pretty bad movie, and I think it's deserving of a low critic score of 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. The heart of the movie is the supposed to be the sexual chemistry between Johnson and Dornan, and I don't really think there is any. But the script and the dialogue in this is so is really bad. Like it's a it's supposed to be about like serious issues like um like child abuse and psychological, you know, disorders, and you just don't really buy that because the dialogue is so bad. Um it all it also reminded me of those like Cinemax movies from the, those like uh softcore erotica Skinamax. or whatever we talked about. Skinemax. Skinemax. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So 
Sounds very similar to the first. There were these movies in the late 90s, early 2000s, where literally... I can't believe you're making them describe this shit. Yeah. Where literally people, you know, would meet, and then five minutes later, they'd be going down on each other and having sex. Uh, that's kind of what this movie was like. <laughs> and one thing I discovered is that they don't make those movies anymore. So this, I would say Fifty Shades of Grey is our answer to the void that Skinamax left when they pulled those movies out of production. What a theory. Yeah. I mean, dude, you might be right. Like an ode to softcore. It yeah. Filled the so. softcore gap. I can see that. Yeah. Adrian Lynn walked so they could run. I went down a softcore rabbit hole and found out that around like 2015, when the first one came out, is when they, is when they stopped producing those kind of movies. Those like late night, 2 a.m. movies. Um, so yeah, I think there was a there was a huge void in our hearts and our minds. And, and to, let's be honest too: the internet, free porn available to people everywhere. Yo, Rigby, you your theory's got you've got one believer. I'm on board here. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so this this movie reminded me a lot of that because Dakota Johnson and Jamie Dornan would be arguing about their relationship, and then literally the next moment, he was giving her uh, Kegel balls to. Uh, wear in her vagina during a masquerade ball at his parents' house. At his parents' house, at their at his parents' masquerade ball, and he shows her the balls, and she's like, "I'm not putting those in my butt." And he's like, "They're not going in your butt." And then, surprise, surprise, she likes it, and she's turned on by it. Dude, uh, so what's so funny about this is, you're, the way you're describing it makes it sound like it's a super sexy movie. And my critique of the first one is it's not like those things do happen, but like, I don't think it's like sexy or sleazy enough. I feel like it is like they tried to like not make a sex movie and it's a clearly a sex movie. I think like if they leaned into the sleaziness or like the B movie of it more, as opposed to being like, Hey, it's kind of a rom-com, but not at least that, at least that's how I thought of the first one. I just didn't really buy the, chemistry between the two to be honest with you and i don't think that's a knock on dakota johnson's acting i actually thought i actually found her to be a very sexy in this movie and b probably the best part of it to be honest with you um jamie dornan is awful there's really no no other way about it um kim basinger's in this she's not very good either it's, it's easier to portray fantasy in written word and books than it is on screen and i think that's why these movies just fail um they just don't really translate well to the screen um and especially when there isn't really a spark between the two big actors between doran and johnson that's kind of the drive what needs to be the driving force and i don't i didn't really see it in the movie that i saw if i had a score from like one to a hundred i would give it like a 20 it's 11 critic 48 audience so that's okay. what makes it the audience gap. Which is wild because Fifty Shades of Grey is 41 for critic, or for fans. It's like a 40-something meta score, too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say 40 feels accurate. Probably had to do with the sensors and making it mass-producible and viewable, right? Like It didn't want an X. No, exactly. NC, they didn't want to be NC-17. rated X or NC-17 because that would limit its yep. sellability, right, to make money. It's interesting you bring that up because I... I rented this on Amazon and there were two versions of it. One was the yeah. uh, unrated version, which I tried to rent first, but you could only buy that. And it was 15 Had two bucks. nipples in it instead it of one 15 bucks. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't justify spending 15 bucks on this. So I rented it for four ninety nine instead. 
Oh, baby. Seeing Dakota Johnson in her lingerie, that was worth the price of admission. We can cut that, but... Um, I think yeah. you're speaking to the people right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> so. she she is... She's, she's sexy in this. She's just not... She's just not really. She just doesn't. She just doesn't correspond well with Jamie Dornan. I'm always interested to hear her talk about her experience in this. In that video, I talked about it. The she when asked about the role, she just talks about it was interesting to learn about the BDSM like dynamic and what you know the psychology of it and what drives it and why people really attach to that. And that's kind of been her. Per- her feedback if you look at the construction of these movies i think both of you hit on this so well they were unwilling to do the difficult labor of really writing and put presenting an erotic film that was focused on women and what's hysterical is moving like further on down the timeline you have bridgerton which is way more explicit and extremely more voluminous in sex scenes. And women are eating that up. Young women are eating that up. It's the target audience for Fifty Shades. Uh Dakota is the best thing in that film. She has the most interesting approach to her role. Jamie Dornan in this is so terrible, which makes me sad because I think he's really talented. He's done some cool stuff. Belfast is awesome. I love Belfast. Oh my gosh. Yes, Belfast Mm -hmm. is wonderful. He's great in Belfast. But he's wooden and yeah. and completely flat in these films and unlikable, frankly. But yeah, you are so right about saying this used to be a whole genre that was extremely popular. But it was popular, I think, and talked about amongst men. And this was the first opportunity for women to be like, no, oh, I'm pumped to see this. Like, mm-hmm. I can't wait to see yep. this go down. Yeah. And m- women were disappointed in it, too. So you're not alone. There's no traces of red or body of evidence, you know what I'm saying? I love me some Madonna. (laughs) You can really see the seams in the source material in the second two movies. They're trying to do everything. He's in a helicopter accident. There's a dude putting, cutting out or burning out faces and pictures with cigarettes. There's masquerade balls, balls. There's all kinds of crazy stuff going on that doesn't need to be in this movie. Any actor could have been in these movies and they would have been terrible. Because everything that they were doing was bad. That's a very fair point. And they expand, this thing goes straight to hell. That last movie is a disaster. Yes. It's an absolute disaster. <laughs> like, it was called Fifty Shades Free because it freed them from their contracts. They don't have to oh do it anymore. <laughs> it's like comically bad. Okay. Everybody was waiting with bated breath for Rigby's review of this movie. And, and I, I got to say, he nailed it. And Rigby, I commend you for finally bringing the sexy back to this podcast. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Yeah, we were missing it, weren't we? I'm glad, I'm glad you, we really. can add some softcore porn research to your docket of work. Yeah. <laughs> Coming off to Fifty Shades Darker, uh, an important personal life thing happened. So she starts dating Chris Martin of Coldplay. And my understanding is they're still together. Yep. Five years later. Did that hurt your heart a little bit? No, I'm not a big Coldplay guy, but I will confidently say it was one of the best concerts I ever went to in my whole life. Yeah. Blown away. Dating Chris Martin. Uh, I have a her uh, Dakota's Very Green Kitchen. Oh, it's phenomenal. Oh, that blew up. It's a whole trend on Instagram. I was hoping you would bring this up. The Architectural Digest interview. Hey, D. Her, her taste, her couch, 
She goes on first dibs and gets things on auction. Her love of limes. And then we discovered she didn't love limes. I'm telling you, this woman is a... This is going to sound really cheeseball, but you can tell when someone has been raised by movie stars. She understands a bit. She understands a sequence, a beginning, middle, and end of a story. She understands how to engage people with mundane things. That's how I knew so much about Hunter Thompson, because her tour of her home mm. is excellent. It really is. I mean, if yeah. there was a filmography for tours of one's home, she would be getting tens across the board. Outstanding. And it, I really do believe it's because she was raised in this industry. She knows you have 45 seconds to make a compelling argument or craft a narrative. And she knows how to do that. I love that AD interview. Highly recommend. The line bit cracked me up. Thing blew up. I, I say this like, honestly, this is when she won millennials over. When she did that, she won millennials over. She won Generation Z over. She, I, I think that that was a turning point in her career. I know that probably sounds ridiculous, but that made her accessible. It made her likable. It made her aspirational. I think that that honestly, it like established her credibility amongst a new generation of, of fans. That and the Ellen DeGeneres interview where she yes, shows Ellen publicly like that. Yeah, that, that, that. a lot of yep. fans. She's very real. Mm -hmm. That's a solid theory because these Fifty Shades movies don't stick to her like that. Hmm. Nope. We've seen a lot, of, a lot of talented and like well-regarded actors. Got like Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson is still shaking off Twilight. That's right. And she, these movies do not stick to her like that. We talked about Zoe last time with The Happening and how that basically torched her career, and she had right. to kind of redefine herself. Uh -huh. Dakota Johnson is really great in as an interviewer. If you watch, you want to watch a sexy interview. If you think Dakota Johnson's sexy now, watch her interview with Stephen Colbert where she takes tequila shots with him no. it is the sexiest damn thing I've seen in a minute. <laughs> she sits there and she, she's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm flying out tomorrow. I've got to be in Vancouver. Giggle, giggle. This woman knows how to craft a bit. And she's, they had gone to the Met Bulb the night before. And I think Stephen Colbert is very sexy, extremely attractive, phenomenal, zaddy, energy all of it <laughs> and she knows how to work that room and he says well let's do tequila shots and and she's like okay she's just game you know what i mean very very sexy segment highly recommend i i think that those little things really do make you into a star mm -hmm. you have to know how to operate in those spaces if you're going to make it and i think those are kind of the glue that like keeps us moving towards the lost daughter and away from Chloe and Theo. Right. This is a good point, but to speak to that point, like she did an interview with Awards Chatter, which is like a nerdy film podcast a couple years ago. And she goes on there and she's talking about all these films like she's like a movie nerd. Cool. She's talking about her love and passion for movies and all this kind of she like so it's like she's reading all the rooms and doing all the things. And that's yes. why everybody, like anyone who like really participates in watching her movies and in her career or is a fan of her. Wow. I looked up what all of her boyfriends look like, and uh, we're not her type. <laughs> In case you're wondering. <laughs> uh, yeah, so don't worry okay. about it. I know, gave me hope. I suspected that, James. Yeah. <laughs> so that the year later, Fifty Shades Freed, Fifty Shades Freed came out. We're not going to spend any more time on that, but that because I want to talk about Suspiria, which also came out in 2018. She plays Susie, another lead role. 
another Luca movie. Chloe Grace Moretz is in it, so we talked about it there. And we also got the Robert Altman Award from the Init, the uh, ISAs, um, for the, her performance in this too. So outside of the Razzie, like some legitimate awards recognition. This movie was fucking wild. I think this is her best work. Mm-hmm. Remake, right? Yep. Yeah, old school horror movie. She has a lot to do. This movie has a lot of her. Mm-hmm. A lot. And she does a lot of the dancing, which is, uh, that's a like a personal thing. I just like when an actor, if they're going to be a singer or a dancer, they do the thing. Mm-hmm. She does pretty much all of that. And this movie is really demanding. It kind of captures the the subtle, the mysterious acting that she's, I guess, known for, or at least that's what I know her for. She's like really subtle, does a lot of like small things, but those like those subtle things say a lot about her character and what's going on. But it also asks her to be really big, especially in the third act, which I cannot get out of my mind because it's one of the most insane things I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh yeah. Like she goes for it. Like this movie is demanding. And I love this movie. I'm not a huge Luca fan. I love this movie. I never watch it again, but I love it. And I think this is her best work. It's it's the thing I look at and say like could she could she get an Oscar at one point in time? I look at this one and I go, she can do that. Then probably that this is like high level, top tier, like acting. To answer your question. I think, yes, I think, uh, I was not a big of as a huge fan of her until this podcast. Um, and then I realized that she's actually in a bunch of movies I've seen. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think at some point down the road, uh, she absolutely can win an award. This movie is, I love horror movies of all various types. And this one's like, you you don't get a lot of old school, like surrealism mind fuck movies anymore because like, that's not a theater experience that, that gets you a lot of like money. Uh, and so it's, it, what I find fascinating with this is it's like an art house horror movie that also is like a slasher, gory fucking B movie at certain points, like, you know, like complete schlock and, it's fascinating to see a movie tiptoe between those where it's like, is this high art or am I watching like a, like a guts and gore movie? It's weird because the thing I don't particularly like about Luca is his films are really like meandering. I think slow to, to a fault. All of the things I don't normally like about them, the work for this one, Mm -hmm. Uh a slow meandering pace creates a really palpable tension. It's it almost hurts to watch this movie because you're just tense the entire time waiting for what's going to happen because it's also established pretty early on that literally anything can happen. I think the first one of these, it was like, is this going to be like a witch coven? Uh, and then the remake, they're like, it is, don't worry about it. Yeah. We'll talk about it later. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to be addressing it throughout the movie. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Any movie that's got dancing in it like this, it's such a demanding role physically, you know, that you guys were talking about. That's really impressive. She did all of that physical, physical work. These move, these roles are hard to pull off. That dancing in particular, she speaks to that multiple times. I've heard talk about this. That dancing in particular is really physical and demanding. Yeah. She just studied it and learned how to do it. Same year she played Emily in Bad Times at the El Royale, a, a fun film with Chris Hemsworth that we talked about. Um, she plays a hippie character in this one. Good movie, good performance. This is my favorite movie that she's in. Mm, high praise case. Ooh. Say more. Can you say why? I thought it was well cast. I thought each of the subplots were well developed and then fit together real well. I thought she was great in this. Uh, mysterious is her thing, right? Mm-hmm. So when she shows up and you're like, 
what the hell? Like, you're like, oh, she's kind of a nervous person. And then all of a sudden she just she just goes off. This actually might be my favorite role of hers. I, I'm not quite as dialed in as you guys are in her career, but this is definitely my favorite movie that she's in. I really like the trailer for this film. It caught my eye when I watched it with the song. Yeah. I love this movie. I think that it's a, a sign that she's an entertainer because she has to flip on a dime in this film. Yeah. And she also has to captivate in a in an environment that's whimsical and ridiculous and kind of like you never really know what's going on, but in a different way than Suspiria. Suspiria is hard to watch. This is like a popcorn film. It's a fun film. Yep. And you never you want to know what's going to happen. It's a really compelling mystery. I feel like Hemsworth steals steals the movie with his his little handlebar mustache thing going on. It's just like a a, a hot Charles Manson. <laughs> that's true that's cool i thought dakota johnson was the thing i always remembered about this movie i saw it in theaters and i walked out thinking about her and it's the thing i, I don't remember a ton about the plot i don't remember a ton of what's going on i remember her it's a really good performance you know as we're talking about dakota johnson her character is the one that sets this movie off like she's the one that gets this thing going in motion aggressively up until that it's just kind of this feeling around, oh, this person's interesting, oh, John Hamm's quirky, all of a sudden, boom. This, this, this thing's off and running after that. All right, let's get the highest critic score. 2019's The Peanut Butter Falcon. Aubrey drew this one. Lucky guy. All right, I, I am. I love this movie. This is one of my favorite movies of that year. Uh, the plot is Zach, a young man with autism, runs away from his care home, which is basically a retirement home that he stays in because there's nowhere else for him to stay. Uh, and he runs away to go to his favorite wrestler who is called saltwater redneck, which I love essentially a modern day Mark Twain story. It, he gets name checked in the movie. It's about grief, empathy, family, finding your place in the world. I think it's a beautiful movie. It's simplicity is what allows it to be so impactful and beautiful. It's stripped down. It's stripped down in the way it's shot, the way it's presented, what everybody's doing. Everything is stripped down to its kind of simplest, most basic form. And you're just there kind of living with these characters, traveling with them, being a part of what they have going on. It's emotional. It's beautiful. I I love this movie. I love Dakota Johnson. It's a great role. It's a subtle role. Um, kind of the thing in rewatching it that I noticed is that she brings like a maturity to the movie because it's, when she's not there, especially for that long stretch in the middle where she's kind of like just trying to find where they're at, it's playful and kind of kind of fun, a little strange. And then when she comes in, it adds like a sense of like gravity to the whole thing. She brings a maturity that the film needs. There's a weight. There's a like there's a reality to it. It brings it back into the real world. Problematic as this is, Shia LaBeouf is amazing in this movie. I love Shia when he's acting. He's really really good in this. He's really good. I mean, I don't think it's problematic to say he was great in this movie. He's just a he's problematic really person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My fandom of him is the part that's problematic. Yeah, yeah. He's probably, really yeah. good in this. She's captivating in a in a way that's like really subtle. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like movie star shit. Like she shows up and she's just like, I'm here. I know there's a lot of really cool things going on there, but I'm here now. And what I'm saying is is really interesting. It's just it's good. It's really good work by her. It's it's like a subtle thing, but it's really good. Someone asked what Dakota Johnson movie should I watch? I'd offer them Suspiria first so they could handle it. If not, I would give them this one because I know they would like it. Ninety five, ninety six on Rotten Tomatoes, which is yeah. remarkably consistent. 
that was my note for the movie was it's one of the few movies that has a hundred percent success rate for me when I suggest it to people and them telling me that they like it. Yep. Like you suggest this movie to someone they're like, yep. dude, that was really good. Thanks. Like no, yeah. hundred percent success rate. Mm-hmm. Possible not to like this movie. Shout out to Mick Foley and Jake, the snake Roberts RIP. That kid, Zach saying you're not invited to my birthday party. Yes. Brought a tear to my yes. It was a fucking absolutely moving moment. Yep. He's so good. I knew this was a great film because I have a, a good friend who works for an organization that works with um, young people with Down syndrome, and they are all champions of this movie. Like that, everybody in the organization loves this film and how they portray Zach's story. And th- and anytime we talk about stories of disability, I'm mm-hmm. going to take my keys from the organizations who work with those individuals. And this one seems like one where everyone's like, "Yes, this is a great representation of." Um, this community and so that that's big for me he is the center of the story they don't remove him from it they don't really like no. they don't make the focus on the people that are trying to take care of him he is still the center of the story the thing the story. his pursuit is still yes. the thing that matters the most mm-hmm. right and I, it creates an interesting dynamic between Shia and dakota johnson because it's two different ways of being with a person that situation mm-hmm. it's not that either of them are wrong or vilified it's just two different ways right two different approaches of two people who are coming at it full-hearted and empathetic trying to do the best that they can i met mick foley once at a sports authority the best he's, he's way taller than i expected him to be yeah <laughs> was he cactus jack or mankind in that moment or just mick foley <laughs> no dude it was mick foley he's from long island he was there with his daughter i love that <laughs> I was like, holy shit, that's Mick Foley. He's like, hey guys. I was like, what's up, man? A movie I'd never seen before that I really enjoyed and I, I found her performance actually pretty compelling. Uh, I think it goes to her subtlety is our friend. She plays Nicole, a, a, a character who's dying of cancer in the movie. And I guess this was one that was on my radar. I just never saw when it first came out. And I was impressed by her. I, I liked her in this role. Yes. I mean, that's a tough role to play anytime you play a character who's dying of cancer. Really hard. But it was a pretty emotional story. I think it's based on a true story. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. She does both elements of what it is that she has to do in that really well. Like she does the the sick and dying thing, which is really hard to kind of portray the complexities of that. She does that well, but she also still funny and charming and interesting in all of the times, all of the other times. I don't particularly love the way that the story is told, like the timeline, breaking up the timeline. That's my that's my biggest critique. We loses a bit of its emotional punch because it breaks up the timeline like that, I think. But she it almost creates a playing field for her to do a much more dynamic performance because she's always she's constantly going between two different things. And so it's a it's really good work from her and again it's just something that's a bit different from the other things i've seen her do yes this is when she starts getting into her every show every movie i do every film i pick every project i do is going to be vastly different from the next and i think it was super smart of her to kind of capitalize on i think suspiria was like the first sign that she could take risks and i just like the fact that she keeps picking projects that are risk-taking that's a great point because that's a that's a really that's a theme yes for the back half of her career they're all really different that's a really good point all right so something that i think is really cool especially for someone as young as she is in 2020 she founded her own production company tea time pictures 
And again, we've covered actors who have created their own production companies, but normally it happens way later, 20, 30 years into the career. I mean, she's less really eight years into her like full-time acting career um, and created that and also became the co-creative director of Maud, a sexual wellness brand. So she's taken the money she's made and she started to turn it into things that she, she believes in and, and rides with. And I think that's super cool, especially being so young. The production company thing almost immediately started bearing fruit too. It sure did. Shortly, because they a bunch of production companies, but like you could immediately see that she has like really good taste. Kind of knows what she's doing. 2020, she's in a, a lead role as Maggie in The High Note. This is a great movie. Totally underrated. Yeah, I think she gets overshadowed a little bit by Tracy Ross. Ellis uh, Ross. In this film. Yeah, yeah she go, she's going for it. If Mindy Kaling had done a softer film, then what was the movie she did with around the talk show? Oh, with uh, Emma Thompson. Oh, the Late Show. Um, Wait, Late Show? The Late Show. Great, great late movie. Show. Late Night. It's like late a softer night. version late of that. Late Night. LA yep. Love Letter. Yeah. Yep. So again, another liberal, right? She's stepping into something a little bit different um, at this point in her career. All right, last review. Let's get into largest critic gap, which is 2021's The Lost Daughter and James Hazard. So The Lost Daughter has a 94% critics uh, approval rating and only a 52% audience. So that's quite a large gap. Um, this movie came out in 2021, and it's a psychological drama film uh, that is k- kind of adapted from a, to a screenplay from a novel that already came out. And it was, it's the directorial debut of Maggie Gyllenhaal. And I was impressed, dude. For someone to make their debut, this movie has so many twists and turns in the story and how it's, uh, how it's shown to the audience. Uh, very impressive for a di- directorial debut. Um, it's got three Academy Award nominations. Uh, best Actress for Olivia Colman. Best Supporting Actress for Jesse Buckley, who plays a, uh, uh, Olivia Colman's character. And Best Adapted Screenplay. Aubrey, I'm going to be intrigued. Did, did you get a chance to watch this movie? I watched it. I watched it last year. This was one of the last movies I watched last year. I've seen it. The reason why I ask is because I know you're the other person on the podcast who has a kid. And what I would say about this movie is it is, uh, I understand why this movie has such a split between critics and audience members. Um, so the plot here is like real. It's kind of not necessarily a major point to it. On a seaside vacation, Lydia Coleman's character uh, by the name of Leda becomes consumed with watching a young mother who's played by Dakota Johnson and her daughter interact with each other on the beach next to Coleman on this vacation. You can tell she's becoming tense and unsettled by this mother-daughter relationship and she becomes kind of overwhelmed with like memories and you get to see flashbacks of like the terror and confusion and intensity that is early motherhood. And I think that's why this movie has such a dramatic gap because it does not tell a linear story. It is uh, layered with metaphors and the audience needs to work to kind of interpret uh, what's going on and has a unique and heartbreaking story to tell. And that's the recipe for mainstream audiences to hate a movie and write it off as too artsy or like slow and boring. Um, I get that, but I enjoy movies like this. Uh, I just know that they are not everyone's cup of tea. Um, this co- this movie caused me to squirm in my chair, uh, especially with a story like this where it's like tense and haunting, essentially. I would put this movie up there with the Mount Rushmore of movies that any new parents who want to feel like shit should watch uh, with Prisoners, Insidious, and any 
documentary on Eric Clapton because this movie made you be like, oh, this is fucking kicking the gut as a mom or dad. Um, it is about the ideas of being a good mother, uh, but what that idea is and how society has formed that idea and how not everyone fits that. Um, the feeling of being trapped or resentful towards your children and the responsibility that comes with having to take care of them. Um, and kind of like the thought that the grass is greener on the other side, like AKA if you didn't have kids, uh, what your life would be, or do you have regrets that you did have children? That is not a plot that the normal mainstream audience is going to be like, I can't wait to eat popcorn and watch that because it is, it is it's asking so much of the audience emotionally. It's heavy uh, and it's impactful. And I don't think it's a 94. Um, I would be more in like the low eighties because I do think it did get the message across that it wanted to get across. I think there are more errors to it than a 94, which I would put up there with like some of the greatest movies of all time. Um, I think Dakota Johnson is fantastic in this. And I think her chemistry with, or vulnerability, I guess, with Olivia Coleman is what drives the entire, uh, entirety of the movie. I, I know Olivia ben- Coleman's been dominating the Oscars the last couple of years, and it was almost like she had done won too many awards, and that's why she didn't win this one. But I genuinely think she probably should have won Best Actress for her role in this movie. She's, from an emotional depth perspective, it's incredible what she does in this film. I love the favorite, but this might be her best work. Mm-hmm. This is really good. It's heartbreaking, man. It's a it's a mm-hmm. tough watch, and I understand why people were like, "No, not for me." It's a yeah, because it is asking. It's putting the audience to the meat grinder, dude. Yep. Also, a big fan of Jesse Buckley, and this is the only time that I was not happy to see Jesse Buckley when she got on screen. <laughs> <laughs> Every time they show Jesse Buckley's character, you know you're about to see a woman who like abandons her children and like loves that she's abandoning her kids. And you're just like, Oh, this is heavy. Cause like you're, you're seeing the reasoning that she's going through and you're like, Oh my God. And so it is a great performance, but I think she's in the movie for like nine minutes total. Also, uh, Kyle, I think uh, for the first half of this movie, I know you, you are uh, smitten by Dakota Johnson, but um, she spends half the movie in a bikini and it's purposeful. It is like, She's supposed to be mm-hmm. the hot chick at the beach. And that is part of why Olivia Coleman's like so fascinated by her to begin with. Um, and then her performance, dude, is like, she's on the verge of tears the whole movie. So I, I think emotionally, this movie probably asked a ton of her. Layered with so much stuff. Like it's mm-hmm. on its face. If you're just watching this movie kind of passively, it seems relatively easy, especially if you come into this. Like it's a Netflix movie. So if you come into this being like, oh, that's the girl from 50 Shades, it's really easy to write off what she's doing. But it's it's layered and nuanced and very subtle. And it's it's a powerful performance from her too. All right. So last couple projects here before we get into the Munson meter. Uh what is probably I know you guys talked about like your favorite roles. I think my favorite Dakota role is as Domino and Cha Cha movie, the movie that came out this year. Um is available on streaming on Apple TV Plus. I highly recommend people to check it out. Uh she plays a young mother in this uh as well. And it's it's a so Cooper Rafe plays a main character. He's he directed the picture. He works events and he's trying to get his life together and figure out what he wants to do and he connects with her daughter. Um, who who has essentially special needs, and it's just a really heartwarming story, and it's a messy story for him. 
Like his life is messy, and I think Dakota's the perfect cast for this role. Everybody, clap your hands. That's actually it is very much tied to the plot of the movie, one hundred percent. Like you mm-hmm. know, expected. I was like, oh, it's like the song, and then <laughs> Kyle said he works events. This guy had a job that I actually had, which he was a, a party starter. And what that means is you go to like nice. bar mitzvahs and sweet sixteens, and you're like. You get people on the dance floor. Yeah, you get grandma up dancing and shit like that. Like, dude, me and all my friends did that uh, all throughout college. And uh, that when I watched this movie, I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is uh, a little triggering. It's hitting a little close to home. I do understand this kind of lifestyle. <laughs> you choosing the term heartwarming I found fascinating because that is his relationship with the daughter is absolutely heartwarming. But I appreciate that you put the parentheses of, and it's messy because it is messy. It's a super messy movie like yeah. purposefully and uh there's this lovely story in the middle of it and it's fascinating because like the story going around on the outside of it you're like what the fuck is like they're in a bad spot like are they actually gonna do this do i like these people and then you see him interacting with the daughter and you're like oh and that's like the sweetest thing ever i mean I, so this premiered at sundance last year along with the next one am i okay so she had two big movies at sundance and basically there were two movies that everybody was talking about after sundance one was cha-cha real smooth but this was the thing everybody watched it was like holy shit I fucking love this movie and i love their performances and so this is just a really cool film i highly recommend people check it out i missed this at sundance and i was mad because i couldn't get Same. to it and I want this mm-hmm. was the I wanted to see this more than anything else. But this is also mm-hmm. one of her production company movies, which lends to her taste. But I wrote about this movie last year when it came out on streaming, and it's one of my favorite things I've written about in probably the last like three or four years because I was really taken with this movie. That's high praise, man. How it ends is really, mm-hmm. really intriguing and thought provoking for me. This movie is saying a lot, doing a lot. Yeah, I love this movie. And then last one I'll mention before we get into ratings or into top performances is Persuasion. She plays Ange. She essentially breaks the fourth wall in a period piece, which, again, different. Something unique that she hadn't done before. This is also a DNF for me. I couldn't. <laughs> I just Again, this is just not my genre. And I tried to watch it. And I was like, I'm. I'm Dude, same here. It's I, fascinating to watch her break the fourth wall, but I couldn't do it. I like this movie more than it's good. Um, it's not great. There's some pretty glaring flaws with it. I enjoyed it. I mostly enjoyed it for what she was doing. Her performance here is really good. So it's asking something of her that I haven't really seen her do. She's like straight up just comedic actress in this, doing the whole bit. Yep. And this kind of this kind of comedy works for me. I'm into this kind of genre. I like the breaking of the fourth wall. I like that she's balancing like pretty complex emotions with like a real dry, sarcastic wit. She's the smartest person in the room. I like that kind of thing. It's a good performance. It's a good showcase performance for her. I can't speak too much to the movie because it's got its issues. But I like it. Her performance is really good. All right. We've reached the the mountaintop, Rigby top performances. I'd be I'd be interested to see what you found. So yeah, I found a list from BuzzFeed, uh, August twenty twenty two. So it's updated, and they actually rank what they call thirty seven thirty two performances of her career. Oh my goodness! So we're not going to go through all thirty two. I'm interested to see if you guys can guess the top five. 
did practice. He's only got 36, so they just went, they just <laughs> put it all in there. They put it all in a blender. They did. They did. And this is, this is TV and movies. This, I think this can be really interesting to try to figure out. Who wants to start us? Suspiria, number one. So Suspiria is in the top five. It is not number one, though. Suspiria is number two. <laughs> Peanut Butter Falcon. Uh, that is outside the top five. That is number Ooh, seven. On wow. This this, there's a hot take on this list, and I'm not going to like it. Fifty Shades. <laughs> Fifty Shades Freed, specifically. I'm going to say maybe Lost Daughter. The Lost Daughter is number one, Corey. All right. I think that's just... Good job. Uh, give me Cha-Cha Real Smooth. I don't know if it came out in time, but... Yeah, that's number four. Our friend? Black Mass. Black Mass, nope. Aubrey said our friend. Oh, no. Oh. oh. My there is a hot take on this list. We just need three and five. Hotel Royale. Yes, that's number five. Yes. Well, and I'm sh- I'm shocked that Peter Butter Falcon's not in the top five. That's embarrassing. That's, yeah. How do you say that? I have to I have to look to see which uh, I have to see which which Fifty Shades is ranked the highest and the lowest on this. So Fifty Shades Freed is ranked twentieth. Lowest. That's the lowest. It looks like. Yep. Fifty Shades Darker is nineteenth, and Fifty Shades of Grey is eighteenth. So they just ranked them all in a row. It looks like <laughs> lazy. This list is solid work. A bigger splash. That's what I was going to say for number three. I stole it. Nice. That's it. Number. That, that's number three. There Good you job. go. Robert. Yeah. I was thinking maybe High Note and maybe How to Be Single. Those are the other two that crossed my mind. All right. Let's get into the Munson meter, y'all. What we do, we rate every actor on a scale of zero to 100 based on a variety of factors could, that could include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, their acting range, awards footprint, any other talents they might have, personal life, comedic chops, box office success. And anything else that matters to us. And we'll start this time with Aubrey. This is tough because still really early in her career. And it seems like she's hitting a really good space in her career right now. Back end of it, of what we covered, is just kind of incredible performance on top of incredible performance over and over again. When I was kind of thinking through this, I think her best performance is Suspiria. It's one of the only ones I think that would probably garner any sort of awards buzz like what's where do you how do you kind of classify actor performances against each other it's probably the only one that she has so far that can really stand up against some of the other things that are happening around her she's really talented i think she's almost underrated as an actor she's got a, a bit of a wider range than i think she gets credit for she has good taste she makes good choices she can do comedies she can do a the dramas she can do them all she's subtle she's been big she does it all it's she's one of my favorite actors so that skews my list a little bit i have to just accept my biases as she gets knocked because of the longevity she gets knocked because of the lack of awards i'm going with fear of being first and being overly too high i'm gonna say 82 all right james you're up i'll say you know what there's been a lot of buzz around hating on Nepo babies recently. I think she does it right. I think there's a right way to do it, and she seems to be the one who's doing it the right way. Yeah, I'll show you the real me. I'll make jokes. I'll make fun of myself. I'm cool with that. Uh, also, heavily involved in charities and using my name and privilege to help causes I believe in, and she definitely does that as well, um, and I respect that for her. I think she's one of the original signers of the based on what I'm reading here from uh, the Time's Up movement, which was like a huge thing. And she mentioned that 
she wanted to do that because her grandmother and her mother had passed stories down to her about what it was like in Hollywood. And she's like, yeah, like, I know I just got here, but I pretty much got the best word of mouth possible that, yeah, it's, it's pretty shitty out here. And to do that when you're so young is pretty respectable since a lot of people were afraid of losing their jobs at that time. And I think she's going to be Academy Award worthy uh, by the end of her career here. Um, I just think we're a little young into it. And I don't know if the name recognition is on par with other people I've graded lower, um, but I'm still going to give her what I consider a good grade, which is a career rating of 68. Rigby. Yeah. So I like Dakota a lot. Um, I kind of wish I'd seen the other 50 shades movies, to be honest with you, because for research. Yeah, exactly. Research. <laughs> um, I think I probably would have hated 50 shades darker a little less had I seen 50 shades of gray. Um, but yeah, I really like her and I'm, I'm with you. I think she's young, but her career is going places. I mean, she's already, or if she's not going to win an Oscar soon, she'll definitely be nominated. So, um, I think the next 10 or 15 years is going to be a great time for her. So she's going to get a pretty high score for me. I'm going to give her a 76. Corey, our guest Munson. I really like her a lot. I was excited when I was asked to do this one. I think, I think I might've like requested her or said, if you ever do her, I'd love to on that, be on that episode. I think she's super talented. And as we've kind of talked about her work, I think she's benefited. She has benefited from a lot of access and she's benefited from a great sense of selection and the ability to select material that is going to spotlight the things she's interested in exploring as an artist. And so I don't know that I want to call that nepotism. I just think it's privilege. She's had access um, to material that I think someone of her age might not have had access to doing, but I think she's, she's done what she can with the work that she's been given. And as her work has improved, uh, the projects have improved in parallel. And I appreciate that. Um, after the 50 shade, she was no longer the best thing and a bad thing. And that's worthy of praise. She's held her own against Tilda Swinton, against Ed Harris, against, you know, some pretty formidable people. Um, and she's provided something fresh to those projects. So I'm going to give her a 79. Right. Case. I think she rules this. She's fascinating to learn about and fascinating to look at her career and, I'm wildly impressed with the fact that she's the centerpiece of a three-film franchise that everybody knows. I mean, I have never seen them, and I know about these movies, right? That's wildly impressive. And as far as the nepotism side of things, I mean, having access is great, but you still got to do something with it. There's a shitload of, you know, sons and daughters of famous people who suck at acting and couldn't, have a, couldn't hold a career like this if they tried. So I, I'm a I'm a fan of her and, and I like her more uh, than I did before this podcast and my score's certainly gone up. I'm gonna give her a 75. I'll round us out here for somebody who's only been in the industry for about a decade. She's had major impact. I mean, 16th in our box office. I mean, that's it's really impressive for somebody as young as she. I mean, she's younger than me. Yeah. Right. Like she's been doing this less time than I've been a professional in my own industry. So I think that's wild. She's obviously one of the most gorgeous humans on the planet. And I've tried to like keep that mostly to myself in this conversation, but everybody knows Dakota Johnson's like at the top for me. Yes, exactly. So that's, that's going to get her points. And I haven't really seen any of the 50 shades movies. So it doesn't really come from that. Um, and while she is the daughter of famous actors, I think she's 
she's an extraordinary performer. Uh, and she's even a good singer. She sings on the Our Friend soundtrack. And so you can see some of those talents as well. She She's worked with some problematic actors. We've mentioned them before. Johnny Depp, Shia LaBeouf, and uh, there's another one, too, that she's worked with. Army actually. Hammer. Army Hammer um, in Wounds, which we didn't talk about, which is a terrible film. Her responses come with nuance. She's not defending them. She's talking about she's defending redemption. But yes. I think it comes from working and living in that industry as long as she has. Obviously, there's a there's a solidarity with other actors. But those guys have done some pretty scummy shit. And other actresses have come out and basically said uh, they're they've done scummy shit. And that isn't really the route she's taken. So I know we haven't talked about that, but I want to point that out. Yeah, we haven't talked about her humor much. I think she's really funny and her her sarcasm is top notch. It is it is got spikes to it. It's really, really good. And I give her a lot of credit there for her humor. And I love that she created her um, production company so early. And the one thing I looked at, she's not the first Dakota we've covered. We covered Dakota Fanning a, a while ago. Right. And so I was interested. I'm like, how did I score Dakota Fanning? And I had my score for Dakota Johnson. And it turns out I'm giving them the exact same score because I think Dakota Johnson's a better actress, but I'm always impressed by Dakota Fanning starting as a child actor in in not letting that ruin her and still doing the work today. Obviously, she's been over outshadowed by her sister, Elle, um, for a lot of projects, but Dakota is still doing the work. So she impresses me in different ways. Um, but if you don't know what I gave Dakota Fanning, I'm giving her a 69 as well. We are a very pro Dakota podcast. I think that's exciting. I also worked in both of the Dakotas, so clearly there's a lot of Dakota connections here. <laughs> that's right. With that, that gives Dakota that gives Dakota Johnson a seventy four seventy four point eight three, which puts her in thirty fifth place, right between Keith David and Chris Hemsworth. Sounds about right. That oh, that ballpark is Nev Campbell, Christina Applegate, Tim Roth, Michael Sheen. It's all kind of in the same ballpark there. Good company. Yes, it is. All right. Aubrey, what does she got coming? Something really interesting, potentially, around the bend. She's got a lot of things coming. There's a lot of things in development. A bunch of named things that don't really have anything else attached to them other than their names. Some of them are series. Some of them are movies. But there's two really interesting ones. The first one is supposed to come in 2024. Uh, Madam Web with Sydney Sweeney, Emma Roberts. Isabella Merced, Adam Scott, Mike Epps is in this movie. She's going into the superhero realm. Yeah, it's a superhero movie. I know very little about this movie or the superhero. I just know that it was a big deal that she's in it and that it's a superhero thing. She is playing Madam Web. It's, a, it's mm-hmm. in the Spider-Verse. So it's a big deal that she's playing the main character. I mean, that's exciting. I'm excited to see her in it. I like that cast quite a bit. So I'm really interested to see what she does with that. But she also has a movie that's in development called Daddy-O with Sean Penn. A woman takes a cab ride from JFK and engages in a conversation with a taxi driver about the important relationship in their lives. Which could also be interesting. Amazing. So it seems like even in what we're talking about, she's continuing to make interesting choices and do different things. Because those movies seem to be about as far apart as two movies could be. From each other that's pretty much it yeah i was just gonna say sean penn's a strange cat but he's he can make a movie <laughs> rigby excited for madam webb no <laughs> no no all right five actors with the one under the wheel for the next episode which will be episode 78 uh and that's going to drop january 26th and we're bringing back john rigby the twin 
is going to be returned. He hasn't been with us for a while. He was here for Allison, Janie, William Hurt, and Laura Linney. And he, the wheel selected one of these five, and he picked us to join for one of these five. And those five are Alfred Molina, Danny Glover, David Keckner, Matt Dillon, and Michelle Pfeiffer. What we like or dislike about that list. It's a good list. Yeah, it is a really good list. That is a great list. I don't think you can go wrong with any of them. I don't think you can either. I'm trying to guess which one John would pick because he's clearly got a trend here. Is it Danny Glover? Is that where I'm going here? I I could see Glover. I could also see... I could also see... It'd be fun to talk about Angels in the Outfield for sure. Um, I could also see some Alfred Molina just because... I know he loves the scene in Boogie Nights where he's the crazy dude who keeps lighting off. Or no, that's his lover boy who keeps lighting off firecrackers. But That scene is awesome. That scene is awesome with Alfred Molina. I could also see Matt Dillon because I, I do know that there's something about Mary is his favorite comedy. So Matt Dillon would be up there for sure. And he's a massive fan of sports broadcasters. So obviously David Keckner from Anchorman. <laughs> Champ kind. What's me? We would watch some very shitty but very funny movies with David yes, Ayer as a guy. Rigby, use your twin powers and just fucking tell us what he picks. Like, what is, what is your brain telling you? <laughs> I'm going to go Alfred Molina. There we go. Cool. Pumped. But we, all we know is that it's not Michelle Pfeiffer. I mean, he picks award-winning, like, award-worthy people, so I think she would fit the bill That's very well. be the most interesting. Even though Alfred Molina would be a lot of fun. To me, she follows the line of who he's uh, who he's done. Oh, yeah. Are you so, telling me uh, that there's a chance he picked all five of these names? That's <laughs> has the wheel ever done that? Has the wheel ever successfully picked five actors that a guest was like, "Oh wow, I love all five of those." Not that I'm aware of in my I don't think so picking days. So, well, uh, we'll see. John doesn't decide. Corey doesn't decide. I don't decide. Uh, contrary to popular belief, the wheel decides. And we'll figure out what happens. Corey, you're wonderful. Yeah, you know how this goes. We this is where we shower our praise on you for being <laughs> intelligent and amazing and awesome. And this is where you get to tell the world about cool things you're working on or send good vibes and positive recommendations. Yeah, I mean, uh, right now, other than resettling refugees, that's about it. I work for an organization that resettles refugees here in Kansas City, and I'm really proud of that work. And um. Yeah, I'm taking a season away from a lot of volunteering, and I'm focusing on on my professional life. Yeah, good for you. You're good. Making time for us, which we always love. Yes, sure am. Tonight was great. Thanks, guys. Thank you. You're great. It was awesome. Thank you, Corey. Yeah, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Makes our job easy when you're here because we know you're going to come prepared and say some intelligent stuff. We're like, fuck, I had no clue. (laughs) Oh my god. So. We're always happy to have you back, and we will. I will be sending you uh, options right after this, so be prepared. All right, well, as we wrap things up, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on the Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. We've got we've been posting, doing some new things, posting some fun graphics on there, so check that out. Shout out to uh, um, the better half of Aubrey over there, uh, helping us out a little bit. We've, we've benefited from partners' wives um, and their graphic design skills on this podcast quite a bit. Shout out to Kate for a lot of the work she's done. We're very thankful. Very thankful. Yes, we are. It's it's nice having those uh, those options. And you can always email us at monsonsatthemovies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Dakota Johnson? Sounds like you guys really cracked the whole case. Great job. You guys are on fire. So proud. Munson's out. Oh.
All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? Everybody clap your hands. Come on, y'all. Cha-cha, real smooth. Turn it out.